Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Caitlin McGregor, co-founder and CEO at Plum to the show today. Caitlin, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. Let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about your background. So I built two businesses before starting my own company a decade ago called Plum. And we take best in class industrial organizational psychology and combine it with technology to democratize access to data to understand the humans behind the work what drives them and gives them a sense of self-worth and leads to increased quality of hire and retention. Awesome. It sounds like you've heard, you've said that a few times. So just a few. Yeah, just a few. Now tell your background. Is it in psychology? Is it in business? Is it in a technical area? Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got here. Yeah. So I studied international development. Uh, I, my third year of university, I, I went to school in Ghana and West Africa, and I, I thought I was going to go and, and work overseas for a decade and, and help, you know, save the world. And then my first job was in Toronto and it was to help a charity and they wanted to start a social enterprise. So business from scratch where the profits would go to support the overhead of the charity. And I got hired as employee number one, director of operations, and I built a sweatshop-free, locally-made custom apparel company from the ground up from scratch. And that's when I realized that my true calling was being an entrepreneur. Um, building something from nothing is what gets me out of bed in the morning. And after doing that successfully and having Oprah Winfrey wear my t-shirt, uh, I then went on and was hired as the U.S. president for a Canadian educational software company and went down to New Hampshire and started that branch from scratch. And that's when I got exposed to psychometric data. My executive coach had designed an assessment while he was teaching at Harvard to generate extra income. And I was able to pay a, you know, a very expensive consulting fee to use this assessment on everybody that applied for the position. And that's when I saw the power of this data. It's four times more accurate at predicting on the job success than a resume. And I was able to see that time and time again, screening in these people that were just diamonds in the rough that never would have got an interview, let alone be hired if it hadn't been for this data talking about their work ethic and their ability to innovate and communicate and execute. And I just saw an opportunity to take it out of the hands of really expensive consultants that require a decoder ring to understand the data and democratize access to it so that every person in every job we could put people in the right seats at the right time using this data that's, like I said, four times more accurate than a resume. So started just over a decade, decade ago, Plum, to marry best-in-class science with best-in-class technology to allow it to scale. Interesting. So tell us about that transition. You were in-house at a company using these assessments, this methodology, and then from there you saw, hey, I could actually make a business out of this? Yeah, so started originally licensing an assessment and trying to wrap technology around it. You know, there was really no, like a lot of the assessment space was pen and paper. Like there's just, there wasn't a lot of tech around it. And, and part of it's because it's almost like two worlds. You know, developers know how to make technology that can scale, but don't understand the science of industrial organizational psychology. And, you know, psychologists understand the science of biopsychology, but they don't know anything about user experience and technology. And, and literally, I had to train developers to speak, you know, industrial organizational psychology. And one of our leading product managers is a PhD in IO psychology that learned how to become a product manager. And, you know, it's bridging these two worlds that just hadn't been done. There had been an over-rotation on the science in the industry or an over-rotation on the scalability and the tech, but nobody that really 
had married these two worlds together properly so that you could maintain that accuracy, but also have that beautiful customer experience value to the end user and scalability to be able to honestly just create brand new use cases that weren't available before this data existed at scale. So it was a process of figuring out how to bridge these two worlds where it had been so many people had failed before. And, you know, there's a lot of legacy there's a lot, the psychometric assessment space of so the soft skill and cognitive ability, personality assessments like that, that space has been crowded since World War II when you had Myers-Briggs to help figure out how to, how, you know, men returning from war could re-enter the workforce now that women had taken their jobs, you know, how to integrate the two genders together like that, that's kind of what everybody thinks about when they think about this type of data. So there was a lot of need to bring it up to date and, and to really take it to the next level and, and a lot of kind of bad science snake oil that still existed in the space that we had to kind of re-get people to understand just how powerful and accurate this data is in, in 2023. Yeah, really interesting. I think we have a sneak peek at what Plum does, but yeah, tell us what products and or services does Plum offer? Yeah, so we started focusing on SMBs originally because that's what we were and we saw how critical it is. You make one bad hire, it can be a loss of $300,000 on your business. So we really wanted to create something that somebody could self-serve and use and didn't require this expensive consultant. We wanted to create a positive user experience so that people would just go and take it. And so we worked really hard on creating that value for the candidate, making it easy to understand and kind of you know, cut our teeth on SMBs, but we then started winning, you know, really competitive RFP processes against really well-established legacy assessment companies. And we started beating them. And so with large enterprise customers. And so after we won our first two large enterprise customers that were multi-year contracts, all over hundred K each, you know, all global, you know, type of use cases, we then about four or five years ago said, okay, wait a second, we should really solve the biggest pain point, which, you know, is that this data is missing and it's so needed and not just needed on candidates, but needed on employees as well. And, and who has the most data, who has the most candidates, the most employees, well, enterprise customers. So we went all in and did something that's unconventional. We went from SMB, skipped right over mid-market and went straight to enterprise. And that was really difficult when we were 22 people at the time, but we did it. And we kept, you know, winning these RFPs and kept showing that we had the ability to scale. We're deployed in 26 countries globally. We get over 30,000 people a month completing our assessment. We just were able to kind of lean in and, and build that rigor and scalability in infrastructure needed to serve, you know, and a lot of them are financial institutions. So the you know, security and compliance are just, the bar is very high and we just kept, you know, surpassing the needs. And then that has allowed us to really primarily focus now on enterprise. And we still get some mid-market and some SMBs, but the really all the, the focus is on supporting those enterprise customers and the full yeah. lifestyle, not just yeah. talent acquisition anymore, but, but dealing with, you know, internal mobility and employee development and, and their existing employees just as much. Yeah, no, really interesting journey because like you said, not initially it was talent assessment, candidate assessment, and now you've transitioned into just the employee base and helping the employee base. And tell me a little bit more about that. Like now you're serving very large enterprises, you know, uh, 26 countries. So what is that assessment or what are you providing for those existing employee bases at these large companies? 
Yeah, so it's the same assessment that a candidate would take or an employee would take. And really what we're doing is getting at the heart of what are their innate talents? What are the things that make them jump out of bed in the morning, excited about the work they're going to get done? You know, by the time they end the week, how do they, you know, do they look back and go, oh, I just had an incredible week. I can't wait for Monday. Or they're like, oh, I'm so depleted, drained. I, you know, I'm dreading Monday. What is it that is driving them? And on the flip side, draining them and lead to burnout. That's all measurable. That's all industrial organizational psychology, which is the science of human behavior. And you can break that down into talents like innovation, communication, execution, and the individual behaviors. And so we capture all that in a single 20 to 25 minute assessment that's untimed and people only have to take once. They can come back in a year and take it if they want. But that then is the representation of who somebody is and their ability to be successful long term in a role. It doesn't focus on where they went to school or what they've previously done. The idea is anybody can be taught the hard skills with enough time and energy. So if all things were equal and you lined up a bunch of people, who are the ones that are going to be your top performers and stay longest in the jobs because they'll naturally outperform their peers, though they may need some, some upskilling and things like that to on the eligibility front. So this data we use, it doesn't matter if you're applying for a job as a candidate or if you're looking at an internal position or if you're looking for you know, creating your succession planning pipelines or looking to see somebody's leadership potential to see if they'll be happier on a leadership track or happier on a, on a subject matter expert track, this data about the person is the first step in terms of understanding how to properly support them and set them up for success. Yeah, love it. So important. And I think I feel like a lot of people or HR departments aren't, you know, maybe don't have the budget or just aren't armed with sub, you know, something so important as that to continue to, to cultivate that existing employee base. And, and you mentioned something earlier about maybe some company, you know, kind of snake oil, and you don't have to mention anybody, but do people have to be aware that maybe some, you know, assessment, you know, firms out there are just not quality or just don't have any science behind it and it's not going to produce any fruitful results? Yeah, I mean, Myers-Briggs, for example, you can take the assessment one day and take it a week later and have completely different results. There's no third-party evidence. It's never been peer-reviewed where others have said that this is a repeatable, scientifically valid model. Instead, it's consistently been pointed out that it's it's not scientifically valid. It's no longer something that should be used other than for fun and, and you know, interest. Their own website says you can't use it for selection. Um, so, you know, I like the idea of people becoming more self-aware, but it's, it's not the data to be used. There's also a lot of models that are based on DISC, which is an outdated, it doesn't hit the, the kind of the gold standard of how we, we measure. It's not complete enough. It's missing too many elements that have now, you know, in the last 30 years, the gold standard for personality is the big five or five factor model. DISC is, is really only looking at four of those. So there's things like that that are just outdated, but I think the more thing to watch for is that, you know, a lot of these assessments require 140 hours to match somebody to a single job. They require it, which is often like 20 to $25,000 per role for a consulting firm to say, okay, this is what success looks like. We've replaced that step with an eight minute survey. So in eight minutes, you can quantify what are the behaviors that allow somebody to be successful at your company at your time. They're very similar to KPIs, but instead of key performance indicators, they're KBIs, key behavioral indicators. You don't go and buy, you know, borrow 
KPIs from a competitor or look at KPIs from five years ago. You need something up to date for your company that defines success moving forward. And in eight minutes, that's what we do is define those KPIs and then match people to different roles. So Scotiabank eliminated resumes, a candidate applies from university, you know, new grad, and they get matched to 16 different jobs immediately to say, hey, you may only be a 40 match for financial services, but you're a 95 for commercial banking. And so in just eight minutes, you can create those profiles to understand what does success look like if you have the time and energy to upskill any potential gaps that may exist. You know, they don't have 10 years of experience. They have five years of experience, but they're a 99 match. Maybe you should have a conversation. Yeah. And that, you know, for me as a CFO, that's a real eye opener because I know I've done Myers-Briggs several times. I'm pretty sure I've done DISC in the past and I'll maybe a corporate retreat or whatever it might be. So that's a real eye opener that those are really outdated or maybe didn't really have any hard you know, like, like science, I don't know how to say it technically, but, you know, scientifically proved or hard data to really prove that they are valid in the workplace. So that's a big eye opener to me. So tell me when, it sounds like you guys have been around for a while. When did you found your company? A decade ago, 2012. So just over a decade ago. Okay. Okay. So just over a decade. Yeah. So we spent the first few years licensing the assessment and then 2015, that's when we launched where we rebuilt all of our intellectual property in-house from the ground up and launched it, rebranded as Plum. And so I'd say 2015 is really kind of the beginning of when we really became our own real business. And then 2018 is when we went all in on going enterprise. That's interesting. So initially licensing, say that assessment, but then did you say by 2015, you had figured out, maybe you've at that point you created your own IP and then no longer yeah. needed that licensing. Now you've got your own IP and basically relaunched your product. Yeah, there were, there were too many limitations. Like we had learned kind of where all the gaps were that in order to really dominate this market and become the leading talent assessment platform, you know, there were too many gaps and there were better ways of doing things. So it was kind of like our, our training wheels to understand what we needed to build properly to meet the needs. And really the first, you know, what we were licensing, the science wasn't as rigorous as we needed it to be for where we were going. So we had the ability to, you know, be our own customer when we were running the ed tech company, kind of take a licensed version to market to learn what was needed. And then taking all those lessons, building it the right way from the ground up and really, you know, a method that was as inclusive as possible. A lot of people think assessments are about screening people out and getting to that shortlist. This is really about screening people in. This is about having an assessment that looks at everybody's potential and says, where are they going to perform best? You know, if you need somebody that's really innovative in a role, who are your most innovative candidates? Who are your most innovative employees to then be considering? And, you know, ultimately everybody agrees that a structured interview is one of the best, you know, rigorous steps that you can put in any selection process. The question is, who are you bringing in for that structured interview? And what Plum does is gives you the most accurate objective data to ensure the people that you bring in for that structured interview are the ones that are most likely to be successful and be happy and fulfilled as individuals so that they stay longer too. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, where, where are you guys based? Are you virtual? Do you have a HQ? Yeah, so we originally were based in Waterloo, Ontario, and then in the pandemic, like everybody else, went fully remote and then realized that that was the best way to keep growing and really create equity amongst the team because we kept growing more and more across Canada and the US. And so to keep maintaining a physical office when less and less people could actually access it didn't make sense. So we went fully remote officially this summer, but we've really been been building that muscle 
like so many over the last three years. What's great though, is that we're, we just closed $6 million US of new growth funding. Mm-hmm. And we're now hiring a whole bunch of new headcount and the onboarding has been fantastic because there's so much recorded content. You know, we have two people starting next Monday, but they weren't here last Friday for our employee appreciation slash funding celebration. Well, we haven't recorded. They can see, you know, what they just missed and they can get the the overview of some important things that we captured in that employee appreciation celebration. So it's allowed us as being fully remote to actually onboard so much better because we have all of this maturity and documentation that just wasn't in place when we were in a physical office. Right. That gets us to come into the office and meet folks and yeah, right. Nothing's recorded there. So yeah, yeah really interesting insight there. And what, what's your current team size? So we are third. We were 33. We just had three people start. So I guess that puts us at 36. Give us another week. I don't know when this is airing, but that'll be 38. We, we should be 45 by, by the fall. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's one of those things that I, I think about how small WhatsApp was when they, you know, when they got acquired by, by Facebook, forget about the acquisition part, but just how small they were with such a big footprint. Mm-hmm. And I think that for us, we've always really been looking at how do we be as efficient as possible and punch way above our weight and constantly prove that we can deliver that, you know, if WhatsApp can do everything that they did with a team of 45, why can't, why can't we, whereas we see a lot of companies, you know, hiring a lot of people poorly and losing you know, the real output and productivity, whereas we keep making sure that every hire we make is the right one and that we're getting maximum output. So a small but mighty team. That's great. So 36 staff now growing to 45 by the fall, hopefully. And anything you want to share around your revenue range or AR range? We're between three and 10 million. Yeah. <laughs> we, we focus on most of our deals are anywhere from you know, a hundred, hundred thousand to, you know, a million as I think, you know, like there's a, there's a big range in there. It's all depending on the the size of the, of the company. So it's, I re- we were talking at our, at our celebration on Friday. We remember when we were so excited when we started moving from, you know, $99 a month to annual contracts. And then remember the first contract that we got that was, you know, 10,000 annually. And we just thought, oh my goodness, that's so big. And now compared to, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see how things have changed and, and how those, those markers have really changed. The, those, the answers to those questions have really changed. Yeah. That, I bet, yeah. That first million dollar contract had to feel pretty, pretty amazing. So yeah, quite that journey, like you said, from SMB now skipping mid-market right to enterprise and these large ACV contracts. So tell us, about your go-to-market motion, you know, who's your ICP? Do you have any industries that you really click with? So tell us a little bit about who you're targeting here. So we focus on enterprise companies that are 5,000 employees and greater. And what's happening at that point is the level of maturity in the organization and their need to continuously, you know, compete for talent against the competition and continue to differentiate and get stronger and stronger in their talent practices. So, and one of the things that we notice is that what they have in common is that a lot of them have a distributed workforce. They're not dealing with 5,000 people in a single office that they can have conversations with at the water cooler. They're trying to think about, you know, one of our customers, 170,000 employees in 26 countries. 
How do they have a common language, a common data set to support them and have it so that it's employee-led, that the employee is running with the initiative and has the data to make this actionable for themselves? And so a lot of the times it is that distributed large global workforce and that need to take their take their people practices to the next level in order to stay competitive and reduce turnover and increase quality hire. We're seeing, you know, industries like financial services and banking, we're seeing, you know, and insurance is under that, but we're also seeing manufacturing and we're also seeing, you know, automotive and we're also seeing healthcare. It's really interesting that it's, it doesn't seem to be specifically the industry so much as the pain point. Mm -hmm. What is consistent with our customers is that they're going through a massive labor crisis. There isn't enough skilled at the, you know, there's enough skilled talent at the top of the funnel. They just can't get enough people to fill all the empty seats. There's 11 million unfilled roles in the U.S. alone right now. And at the same time, they can't keep the people that they have. Companies are spending over 11 billion in the U.S. on employee turnover. Amazon alone last November had their documents leaked to show that they lost 8 billion in employee turnover. Their best retention from Jeff Bezos down is 30% retention. So they're losing 70% of their people a year, all levels, including management. So the real pain point they're all experiencing, regardless of industry, is, you know, can they get the right talent in and can they hold on to it? And the answer is in this post-pandemic world, no, they can't. And so they're looking at a way of how do they screen in people the competition is not looking at and how do they hold on to the people? So, you know, we've been able to double retention for Scotiabank while also as an outcome of doing all this increased diversity, equity, inclusion, which has been a big priority for companies. It's starting to maybe not be as big of a priority, but now with ESGs being a really big priority, it's coming back under that. And so, you know, we helped increase diversity of underrepresented minorities by 77% at Whirlpool. So there's there's big impacts and big ROI. And we really believe that, you know, when people flourish, then business thrives. But you've got to be taking care of those people that are responsible for you know, hitting those sales targets, hitting those growth metrics. And if they're all leaving because they can get jobs anywhere and they're not constrained by geography, companies are having to up their game. And that's where Plum's coming in and providing a new solution to really, like I said, understand the humans behind the work. And who are you reaching out to? These are large organizations. organizations. So are you reaching out to the people, HR department to for that initial land into that client? Yeah. So a lot of the times companies will come to us because they're looking at replacing their legacy assessment company. And we'll be like, that's great. But can we talk about how we're helping Hyundai or City or other companies? And we'll talk about this leaky bucket of just not enough talent at the top and can't hold on to them. And they'll go, oh, that's actually what our CEO or C-level executives are talking about. And very quickly it escalates to have more, you know, VPs and C-level executives in on the call because this is what they're talking about in the boardroom. It's a top three priority for them, not the assessment part, but the talent part and, and really identifying that potential and being able to be future ready. And so very quickly it's escalating. So a lot of times we'll talk to a VP of talent acquisition or talent management or a CHRO. Often the CFO will get involved in these conversations as well, just because, you know, People are the biggest expense, but they're also costing them the, the most amount of money with all the turnover right now. So they'll get involved as well. We're finding that this is this is a top strategic priority. So the higher up, the more strategic people we can get on the call, the faster the sale happens. 
And I was just going to talk about that. It's a very compelling story. So what does a sales cycle look like when you're, you're reaching out to say a 50, hundred thousand employee company? I mean, often the kind of from the first discovery call to kind of the green light that yes, we're moving forward. It's under three months, you know, to get all the stakeholders in, to get through kind of the place where it could be like, yes, we're selecting you. The question on top of that is then procurement. How long does procurement happen on top of that? So procurement can be anywhere from one month or to three months on top of that. So you're seeing anywhere from four to six month sales cycles. Occasionally, if the timing's not right, it may take longer, like a year, but typically six months is, is kind of what we, you know, when we're forecasting what we expect. But then we'll have, we had a deal that closed last week that closed in three days. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, that was more like there's still some of those legacy $10,000 deals that come in, but when they close in three days, you don't, you don't turn them away. They're, they're still helpful. So, you know, there are ones that'll close that are around 20 to 40,000 that can come in, in in a couple of months. But the, the main priority is focusing on those ones that typically are taking more like six. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and really, I think an important point for those listening who maybe want to jump up to enterprise, you said maybe around three months, you get that green light, but now they hand you over to procurement and have to review all the docs and maybe their attorneys review it and, you know, scrutinize your master, you know, services agreement. Committees. The other yeah. thing is realizing it's not just procurement and it's not just legal. It's all the, the a lot of these companies have different committees that it needs to go through and, and get their sign off as well. And so that's rounds of meetings with different stakeholders. And sometimes those committees that that's where they get their sense of self-worth. So they want to feel important and they want to, you know, they want to nitpick. And sometimes we realize that we need to keep that, you know, strategic buyer to, you know, really guide their internal process and not let it go off track and not let some of these committees, you know, take over or, or drag their feel, heels because they've got other things. So it's been you know, a real maturation to figure out how do we check as many boxes as quickly as possible, give people the confidence. How do we go in with the primers, our security primer? How do we go in and lead the discussion rather than being kind of pulled through it? And so these are all kind of things that we've had to, to figure out and, and grow the team to people own. And it's been really exciting. And it, you know, when you can, if you can handle enterprise, it's the, it's so worth it. I know a lot of people kind of in the early days said, oh, that's, you know, that's too much of a beast and it'll take too long and it's not worth it. And it's like, if you can get the maturity to deal with it, it's fantastic. And, and it's much better than trying to get a whole bunch of really, really small deals, but it does take a, a level of sophistication and ownership to get, to get there. Yeah. It sounds like you could give a class on selling into very large enterprises. So not just a thousand, but a hundred thousand and, and up. Really interesting. So you recently raised some capital. How much capital have you raised to date? This is where I always have to do the Canadian math versus oh. the US math. I think it's just under 15 million total at this point. Okay, 15 million US. USD. Okay, yeah. okay. And then you just recently, then you recently raised 6 million USD? This is, yeah. So including the 6 million, yeah. we're, at, we're at about about that. Okay, okay. So, oh, the 15 includes the six or six is now on top of the 15? No, it includes. Okay, includes. In front of me being like, is how did I? <laughs> yeah, yes, 15, okay. including 15, the six. Including the six, perfect, perfect. So recently we raised some capital. So with that last raise, what triggers or milestones did, did you see that said, we're ready for more capital, we need capital, maybe we didn't need capital, but just it was a good time to raise. So what did you see that said, let's raise some more money? 
I mean, there were a couple of things for us. We launched talent management, which is focusing on the employees part of it to expand our platform. So, you know, ideally when you hire, you hire your own people first. And then after that, you go out to market and, and fill in gaps. And so we launched that kind of extension of our platform, really differentiated as the space is the only ones to have both talent acquisition, talent management. We launched that at the end of 2020. So we, and we had our first customers, you know, almost immediately on the platform. And so their renewals had come up and they'd all expanded. And so we had those proof points that the new product worked, that we got really high ACV, that we got really good, you know, multi-year contracts that were renewing and expanding. So we, we had those proof points. We also were up for about six, I think we were up for eight RFPs and we had one confidently six of them and we're still waiting on two. So we were like, okay, something's happening where now we are, people are coming proactively to us. We were starting to win some really big industry awards. So it, it, to us, it became really clear that we had nailed our differentiator and had the social proof and the financial proof to back up that we had, were becoming the leading talent assessment platform in our space. So I think that's why it was the right time because we just had the clarity of differentiation and the proof points to back it up. Also, just from a runway perspective, when you start fundraising, there's always a clock in terms of when's the next time to raise. So it was a combination of, you know, we needed, we needed to raise in the fall, but also we had the right proof points to make it happen. And we went out to market in fall of 2022 and the feedback was incredible, really, really amazing. And we were really bullish, lots of interest in the market. And then we ended up finding an incredible strategic partner that really fully aligned with the vision that we're trying to create in the world, just perfect alignment. We literally were finishing each other's sentences and quoting each other's sales decks, not realizing that we were, you know, literally saying the same thing independently. And then when we came together, we're like, okay, these are the partners we want to work with. And so we were very lucky to have Pearson Ventures lead this 6 million USD round. And then we had existing investors and some new follow-on investors come in as well. And just this big commitment to the future of work and really supporting people to, to flourish and, and seeing that, you know, the future of work isn't about what somebody's done historically. It's based on what they could do if just given the opportunity. And Plum is that missing data to make that happen. And we just, we all saw it. And so we're really lucky to, to bring somebody in as an investor who shared 100% the same vision. And for the other founders listening right now, any lessons learned in raising the six or raising the 15 that, that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's lots of deals that are being done purely based on on economics, like somebody's the fear of missing out and and hype and just looking at, well, if this is as big as it could, you know, like you know from a CFO's perspective, projections are only as good as the assumptions. And you can create a whole bunch of different assumptions and tell whatever story you want. And really fundraising is about are you going to find an investor that believes in those assumptions and and is motivated by the types of returns. And so a lot of it is, yeah, there's a financial component, but, and so like the, the stronger you can prove those assumptions, the stronger that you can have evidence to support it, that's great. But at the end of the day, the people that honestly write the check, they're in it for, it's not just the financial return. There's so many different financial returns out there. there there's some belief in what you are doing that goes beyond the finances. And so it's this combination of, do you have enough proof to de-risk 
they want to say you first you have to find of all the people that want to say yes. So if you talk to a hundred, which I have, how many actually want to say yes? It's only going to be a fraction of those, no matter how great your, you know, it is. And that's really why somebody's going to write a check is because they want to be part of that future. Then do you have enough proof points to when they, you know, go home at the end of the night and they're thinking about your deal over somebody else's, which one is going to de-risk it for them? Because nobody wants to say, hey, I took a bet on this company and it didn't work out. So there's this combination of, do they believe in your vision? Do they wanna be part of it? Do they really buy into that future? Do you, do you share that narrative? And then have you de-risked it enough so that they don't talk themselves out of it and that they, they can say that yes. So it's, it's this really interesting balance as you're going through kind of the fundraising process of finding those people that believe in that vision and wanna be part of it, but also giving them enough and everybody's threshold of like what they need in order to say yes and to feel comfortable and take that leap of faith and write that check. Everybody's threshold's different. And like, once you have that lead, the threshold, like you've de-risked it for the next person. So like that level changes, you know, in the fundraising process, you might close one more deal. Your ARR might increase. Like through the fundraising process, you're de-risking the deal as more and more people get excited. And so it's this perfect combination of, vision and de-risking that eventually makes it happen and understanding that that combination for an angel investor is different than an institutional you know seed investor that's different than an a investor that's different than somebody that might do bridges it's different depending on the structure of the round you know even the valuation like though the need for that vision clarity and alignment and that need to de-risk it those are constantly changing and then the market conditions like we saw crazy changes in the market conditions in the last 18 months. And that had a huge factor too. So just understanding that there is an art and a science and it is, and that is, it's a moving target. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm lucky that I've had lots of experience now so that it's feeling a little bit less like a shot in the dark and more like something that a process that I can run and, and there's some predictability to it. But yeah, then the market conditions change. And so I would say that, you know, one of the pieces of advice is there's a lot of advice of like, you know, around strategic investors or a lot of advice when you're early on about angels and like everybody has an opinion. Forget about all of those opinions. Find the investor that believes in that shared vision and that is going to say yes. Like it doesn't matter if if they're a strategic investor, or corporate fund, it doesn't matter you know, if it's a tier one or a tier three, like if they believe in you, they're going to work their butts off for you. They could be, a, I've heard of top name brand tier one investors, and you are just a nobody because they have so many portfolio companies and nobody really cares about you. And they don't need you to be successful because they have so many others. Whereas you have smaller funds that they really, really, really are invested in you being successful. So I just say there's so much shit advice out there. Focus on the people that actually care about the same things as you and will say yes. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that's That's great insight. Great experience to share with those listening. So really appreciate that insight, Caitlin. So as we wrap up here, what's next for Plum? What's coming up on the horizon? That's exciting. So we're still hiring. So we've got like a solutions consultant that we're hiring for. We've got some engineers that we're bringing in some more people on the customer success team. So just hiring the, those people and onboarding them, you know, those first 90 days are so critical when you're bringing new people in and it's exciting to see how some of them like week or two in are already hitting the ground running, which is 
wild, you know, beyond anything I've seen before. It's amazing just to see how motivated people are to be joining the organization. So a big part of that is really making sure what we do works. It does. We, we know that for sure. But now when you add in so many headcount, is it repeatable? And the second that we can demonstrate that everything we've been doing is repeatable, then it's really about, you know, adding in that scalability. Right now, we don't have a lot of mid-management. It's a lot of, you know, bringing in individual contributors to work under executives to repeat what we've been doing. And, you know, if we're doing a really good job, then later this year, it'll be about how do we, you know, increase that mid-management bench strength and provide more scalability. There's some really cool product things that we're working on to really double down on how do we empower the individual to be the CEOs of their own career, give them the data so that they're not relying on HR managers. They can drive their, their own career with this data. And how can we, we've been focusing a lot on serving enterprises needs from a top down. We can complement that and really create a, a more of a symbiosis between the individual and the employer by empowering that individual to be able to do even more um, and take some of the burden off the company. So there's some really cool things we're doing on the product side as well that we're excited by. And then just increasing the number of, of enterprise companies that we're working with. It's exciting to see some really innovative approaches. And we've got some really good case studies coming out in the market. So really amplifying the voice of our customers. That's great. Yeah, exciting times to come in 2023. So I really appreciate you sharing your story and your journey. So if listeners would like to learn more about Plum, where should we send them online? Yeah, so plum.io is our main website. And I'll send you a link that if you want to include, people can complete their own Plum profile. And like I said, it's just 20, 25 minutes. And I'll give you the version where it's unlocked and you can complete your own Plum profile and get all 10 of your talents and see what drives and drains you and see the advice to help you, you know, really flourish in your career. And, and so people can try it firsthand. Oh, that's great. Appreciate that. So check out Plum, P-L-U-M.io. And then I'll put that, that assessment link in the show notes. So Caitlin, really appreciate your time today and sharing your story. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ben.